Jesus, I believe in you. God, I believe in your son who came into this world, Father, and who was willing to sacrifice and be killed for our mistakes. Father, that when Jesus came, that his purpose from the very beginning was to trade his life for ours. Because you see, each of us, we stand condemned by the mistakes, by the brokenness, by the sin that's in our lives. And Father, we just pray this morning, Lord, that you and your mercy would remain constant. We know it will, but remain constant in our lives, Lord, that we would be able to take hold of your hand. Lord, that we would never let go, knowing that you never let go, but that we would never let go. And Father, we're just going to take a moment right now, Lord, because of the brokenness that separates us from you, we're going to take just a moment right now, and we're going to go to you, each of us individually, and we're going to confess any sin, any struggle, any problem, any hurt, anything that's in our lives that doesn't need to be there. The Bible says that our brokenness holds us back chains us and keeps us from being with you and from the life that you intended for us to live. And so, Father, we're just going to go to you right now, put all that stuff on the table, and ask for forgiveness. Father, forgive us of the things that we do. Forgive us of the things that we don't do. Forgive us, Father. And Lord, we thank you that your grace and your mercy and your willingness to send Jesus is sufficient to move us out of being enchained to our brokenness and move us into a new life with you. Father, I pray this morning that we would take hold of that, that we would leave our brokenness, Father, and that we would embrace your grace and your mercy. Father, I pray this morning that because we know that your Holy Spirit is what triggers that, is what allows that to happen, is what makes it possible in our lives. Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit would be in our lives, would be pushing us away from sinfulness and toward you and toward better relationships with you. Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Well, because of everything going on this morning, I'm not going to show a clip. We got to see the other clip uh, with the youth. So we're just going to jump right to the series that we're going to be working through for the next three weeks. The name of the series is Let's Be Honest, right? And uh, you're always worried if you're like me when someone comes to you and says, hey, let's be honest, right? Because you know that they're going to tell you something that you don't really want to hear. Well, this morning, um, we're going to talk about something that none of us really want to hear, thank you, which is our need to come face to face with our brokenness. You know, um, it's often said um, among church leaders or among pastors that one of the easy ways to spot a good church is a good church is always willing to speak on our brokenness as well as the sole sufficiency of God's grace to heal that brokenness. Every church preaches on Jesus, but if you ever move away from here, you ever move to to another area, another part of the country, You can always tell because a church that really loves the Lord is not afraid to speak on 
our brokenness, and nor is it afraid to point out that grace is the only thing that does it. Well, that's my two cents worth uh, about church this morning. But we want to be able to come face to face with our brokenness and to be able to see how much it affects our lives and how good God's grace is in freeing it from us. So, uh, freeing us from it. So, our strategy is this. Today we're going to talk about the reality of sin, what it is a little bit for those of you that are new to this idea, um, and how real it really is in our life. Because I'm uh, not probably going to make it through tonight, I'm going to drink and talk at the same time. So, we're going to see what the Bible says. Um, the Bible says this very simply this morning in 1 John 1, chapter, uh, 1 John 1, uh, 8 through 10, chapter 1, verse 8 through 10. If you want to open your Bibles there, um, that would be awesome because we're going to be looking at this a little bit um, here um, this morning. Now, First uh, John, uh, we know it is a uh, part of the New Testament, and it talks a little bit about um, the, the contrast, in fact, between love and uh, grace and also our brokenness and that brokenness that keeps us from God. So here's what the Bible says, First John uh, 1, 8 through 10. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. And we're going to break down some of these words, some of these ideas this morning. But two times John here is basically saying, listen, we have sinned. In our lives. So let's talk about what that means. Two ideas, just very briefly this morning as we introduce this idea here. First of all is that we must know the depth of sin. That it's, it's important, and in fact, I would argue critical for us to be wise about the depth of sin that's in our lives and that's in our world. The, the, the problem that many of us face in the modern Western world is a desire to make brokenness to make brokenness to be unimportant, to be a side issue, to be something that is easily overcomable if we get a little bit of counseling or if we read Deepak Chopra or if we read some other self-help book that somehow we can be okay. You know, um, the, in a long time ago, I guess it was the 60s or 70s, people talked about, you know, there was a book called I'm Okay, You're Okay, and, you know, that's sort of been the spearhead uh slogan. I know it doesn't really mean this. I know that there are parts of the book that are good. But basically, the, the slogan, though, has be sort of taken a life of its own. And, you know, there's sort of the idea that basically all people are good people. All people are moral people. All people desire to, to have, you know, goodness in their lives. And it is only just a little bit of fixing and everybody will be okay. Or we can just watch Oprah a few times a week and we're basically good people. I mean, we just, you know, can then get along with everyone else. But, you know, the problem is that rings hollow at least two ways. It rings hollow, um, number one, um, because when we share, as we've been talking about the last several weeks, when we talk to other people about what God has done in our lives and their need to know God, they must be willing to admit that they have brokenness, okay? Most people will, but the depth of brokenness, that becomes an issue. The other thing is, is that if you guys have been watching the news and, you know, knowing what's going on in the world, you know, the crime rate seems to be going up, you know, um, because the more uh, difficult the economic situation gets and the more hard it becomes, um, then people turn to what? Peace, love, and harmony, right? Do they do that when they, when they lose their job and they're frustrated and they can't put food on their table? Do they go and sit together and sing Kumbaya and light candles? Not 
Unfortunately, no, the answer is not. And um, like even this morning, you know, the graffiti on the wall here at, uh, at church, you know, um, in the last six months, the number of graffiti has gone up, you know, exponentially. But it's because that when people, as we're going to talk about here in a second, because of the inherent brokenness, the innate brokenness of people, all people, me, you, everyone, that it is easier for us to turn to anger and frustration and hate and pride and those things the Bible talks about as being sin, rather than turn to goodness. So for us to be educated, for us to be wise believers, we have to understand the depth of sin um, that occurs in our world. Let's, let's break this down a little bit. The Bible uses the word sin to explain our brokenness. Now, if you've, this is your first time ever in church, or maybe you've only been in church a little bit, um, then the, the, one of the problems is defining this word sin, because in our world, we, use, we see the word sin on occasion, and we think that it's maybe a word that church people use against non-church people, but that's not what sin means. Or we think it has something to do with what people do in Hollywood, but that's not really sin either. So the Bible used the word sin to explain our brokenness. Now, here's one of the things. By the way, if you, you want to follow along in your handout in your bulletin, you're welcome to do that. Um, but one of the things that, that happens when we talk about this issue of sin is really trying to sort of wrap our mind around it and understand it. We've, I've done series in past years on what it means, so I'm not going to go in great detail about what it means. Today and next week and the third week, I want to talk about how deeply it, it really reaches down into who we are as people. But it uses the word sin to explain our brokenness. When you look throughout the Bible, there's actually lots of different words that the English Bible translates as sin. And by the way, I don't know, for those of you that have, you know, Tagalog or Mandarin or uh, Cantonese Bibles or whatever the case may be, I don't know how it translates there. But in the English, uh, usually it follows the English. And in the English, it translates everything as being sin, even though there's lots of different words. So the thing is, is that in English, in my opinion, a lot of times here at BBC, I use the word brokenness to you instead of the word sin, not because I'm afraid of the word sin, but because I think that most people in our society have no idea what the word sin means, and therefore they use it incorrectly, and they think about it incorrectly. So let's talk about this way, just briefly introduce this idea. God, who is perfect, okay, we know made people in his image, but sin is what damaged that image, right? Because we know, we look back in Genesis, and we see how Adam and Eve were sort of happy and they were, they were with God and there wasn't a brokenness inside. They were made in the image of God and they purely reflected that image. They were able to completely and 100% reflect the image of God in their lives. So when Adam got frustrated or when Eve got frustrated, they did not need to turn to anger or hate or stealing or graffiti or beating people up or anything like that. They didn't need to turn to that because, because the image of God was unbroken in their lives. They were able to channel all frustration that they may have had into something that was good and useful and creative. The thing is, though, is that because of their rebellion um, and because all of us rebel against God from the moment that we're born, and we're going to talk about this a little bit next week, because we all rebel against God from the moment that we are born, we fracture the image of God in our lives. That's what the Bible says. And so what happens is the image of God in our, in our lives, each of us, is broken and fractured. And so it is impossible for us to choose to create and do good. It is impossible for us to choose and to create to do good. It is impossible for us to do that. Um, sin is the broken condition of people that causes them, first of all, to rebel and hate God and also other people as well. So if we look at sort of the root idea of what sin means, 
Um, one of the main ideas here is that it is a re- rebellion against God. It is also a rebellion against other people as well. So we know that you know when Adam and Eve first sinned in the garden, that they did not say, hmm, let's sit down. You know, okay, we disobeyed God, so let's sit down and see, you know, how we can fix this. Let's see, let's reason together and see if really I'm okay and you're okay and we can all just be okay again. What did they do? If we remember from Genesis, what did they do? They immediately, they tried to hide and they tried to blame each other. And the next thing you know, they would have broken in and stolen something else or something, you know, along the lines. Of course, I'm joking there. Uh, with the last point, but the thing is, is that the broken condition that set that set into their lives caused them to be in total rebellion against God. This is the reason why, from the moment that each person is born, that we start out life rebelling against God rather than following Him or serving Him. It's the reason why we struggle with badness. I mean, has anyone known a child to come out of the womb and to be a perfect little angel? Not counting your kids, who maybe you think are perfect little angels, but we all know how they're like when they're not with you, right? But, you know, joking, of course. But, you know, the truth is, is that when we look at children, you know, children to me uh, are a perfect example of this brokenness issue. Because a child can be completely sweet and completely loving one moment in time, right? But then in the next moment, they can be a little bit hell on earth, can't they, right? And that's what happens because they are reflecting even more purely than we adults who learn to sort of act middle class and sort of put on masks and airs. They learn from a very early age that there is a battle in their hearts and a battle in their souls over the image of God in their lives because they have the image of God according to the Bible, but that image is broken and damaged and almost destroyed to the point that it's useless. And it is Christ who comes that restores the image of God in people. Now, let me just mention something else. The most common word for sin in the original language means to miss the mark, okay? So I've explained this before. won't go into a whole lot of detail, but the number one word in the Bible used to explain what the sin does in our lives, the condition that we have, is to miss the mark. Now, that may seem weird, but let me explain what it is. It's a military term, and so when people would be practicing their bows and arrows, or today it'd be a gun, but you practice your bow and arrow, and they'd be a bullseye, a target on the wall, that if you, if you take, the, take the, the bow and you shoot the arrow and it hits anything other than the exact center bullseye, it was considered sin. Okay? It was a military term, never used in a religious sense. And so the, the soldiers, if they hit it, uh, if they hit the bullseye, that was one word. But if they missed any, if they wasn't a perfect shot, it was called sin. Okay? Although that wasn't the word because it wasn't English. But um, so it was called sin. And so when the Bible... You know, when people were trying to describe what it means um, to, for us as people to have sin in our lives, they chose this military term because they wanted people to understand that God's plan for you is to hit the bullseye every time, okay? But that the condition of sin in our lives causes us to miss the bullseye almost every single time. That God's standard for our lives is perfection, okay? But that we miss that bullseye almost every single time as we go through life. Now, here's the thing. The thing is about the bullseye is that this is why sin doesn't mean doing bad things. Now, sin can include doing bad things, but it doesn't solely mean doing bad things. Why? Because, for example, and let me just hit home this week after the last four weeks, but let's say that you go to 7-Eleven today and you go get a Slurpee, right? 
You're standing in line for a Slurpee, and someone comes up to you and says, hey, you're dressed kind of nice today. I mean, you don't know him from Adam, but says, hey, you're kind of dressed kind of nice today. Uh, what's going on? Did you, was there a party around here or something like that? And you say, uh, yeah, uh, there was. And you try to change the subject, right? When God intended for you to say, yeah, you know, I was actually in God's house this morning. And you know, it'd be really cool if you came with me next week, right? Well, failing to do that, assuming the prompting of the Holy Spirit there, um, is sin. That's what that is. Because in, in God's perfect plan for your life, you would have been able to communicate to them without fear and in love what God has done for them and invite them to know God as well. But when we don't do that, then that, my friends, also, that is sin. And so sin is not just doing what is wrong. Sin is not doing the things that God wants us to do as well. Maybe there's someone who's homeless on the side of the street and we have you know, some extra food with us and we just don't want to give it to them. That also would be sin. Um, you know, Maybe God is prompting us to go somewhere. Maybe God is prompting us to do something. Maybe God is prompting us to love someone. Well, that also, if we do not do it, is sin. So as you can see, um, not just the guy that's you know, down and the alcoholic or whatever, you know, on the side of the road. He is not just a sinner, but you and I also are sinners because we are broken because we do not adequately and perfectly reflect the image of God. We sin because there are lots of things we do wrong in any given day, but we also sin because there's lots of things that God wants us to do with our lives and we don't do, you know. And this is a bigger problem, by the way, for Christians um, because, you know, First John was really this passage in scripture was really written for people who are believers and one of the problems that sometimes believers fall into is this trap of well i go to church now um i'm middle class i pay my bills i pay my taxes uh my kids are generally okay uh, i love my wife and therefore i am not very sinful but my friends that would be a lie that would be a lie because every day that as we go through life god is challenging us to do more for him to more adequately reflect um, his will and his grace and his mercy in our lives and when we fail to do that that makes us sinful people uh, myself uh, chief of all sinners let me just echo paul there so it is not that somehow because i get to stand up here um, that i am less a sinner than you or anybody else out there um, and in fact as you read the bible and you study the bible you will find out that all of us have a huge debt of sin in our lives that is unequal that's the thing that happens because when we come to christ we think, well, you know, I have this issue or I have that issue that I do wrong, and therefore I'm a sinner. But as we walk with Christ, we realize that there is so much brokenness in general in our lives. Sin is a condition that hurts all people to their core. And this is a thing that's, that's, that's really important because we have to recognize the fact that sin is not a peripheral issue. It is not a surface issue. It is not something that is on our lives but not in our hearts. Because the Bible talks about the fact that sin originates in the heart of us. That is something that in the very depths of our lives. Uh, let me give you an example. Many of you, if you've read the Bible, you'll know that the Bible speaks of flesh, right? It'll say, talk about how, you know, the flesh is weak and the flesh is sinful and, and that sort of thing. Why does the Bible use that word there? Does anybody want to guess? Why does the Bible use that word there? Let me explain why it doesn't use that word there. Because, again, this is very easy, especially if you sort of were raised in the Western tradition. It doesn't mean that the body is bad and the spirit is good. That's not what it means at all. That's a common misconception. It doesn't mean that the body is bad. That's Plato. That's not the Bible. So what happens is the Bible uses the word, this idea of flesh, because it, 
trying to say that our very nature, that which makes us human, that which roots us here in this place, that our very nature is what is sinful. So it is not to say that part of us is not sinful and part of us is sinful. In fact, I would say that, you know, this is an oversimplification, but when you look in the world in which the Bible is written, there were a lot of people like Plato and like folks like that who would argue that the, the body is bad, but the heart is good, right? The body is, is, is just yucky, but the heart and the soul and the spirit, those are, are sources of light and goodness. By the way, we see that idea in our world all the time in New Age literature. You know, you go to Barnes & Noble, and you'll see lots of books that have that idea that, you know, that we make mistakes on the outside, but on the inside we're basically good people. But the Bible says that's not true. The Bible says that at our very core, at the very nature of who we are, there is a brokenness, there is damage, there is sinfulness, and there is a rejection and a rebellion against God and a hate that exists in our heart for, for other people and for God as well. And, you know, that's, that's the thing that's sorely lacking in a lot of times in discussion in our world because if everybody's basically good, um, nobody would ever hurt each other, but we know that people hurt each other all the time. And the, and the reason, the desire for hurt comes from our brokenness and comes from our sinfulness. So sin is a condition that hurts people to their core. The thing is, as I mentioned again, it hurts all people. It doesn't just hurt me. It doesn't just hurt you. Um, it, do, it hurts all people. Anyone, first of all, if you ask someone, do you make mistakes? That's you, when I share the gospel with someone, when I tell them what God has done, I usually start there. Because 90-some percent of people will say, yes, I make mistakes. I mean, you have to be pretty arrogant to say that you don't make mistakes, okay? So most everyone will, will make mistakes. And I start there as a way of explaining the brokenness that exists in our world. If you ask someone, by the way, if, if you're, you know, you're, you're praying about this person that is in your family, you want to tell them what God has done because you know their life has fallen apart around them and you want them to, to know God's grace and your mercy, and you go to them and you say, you know, the Bible says that you're a sinner, right? The problem with saying that today is that they're going to misunderstand what you're saying most of the time. Most people probably will totally not understand what you're saying. They'll think you're, they're, you're accusing them of doing bad deeds. What you're trying to say to them is that you're messed up and I'm messed up. We're all messed up. Let's just admit that we're all messed up and that God is the only one who has a solution to our messed upness. What doesn't come across that way in English anymore. So sin is a condition that hurts all people to their core because it includes everyone. It's not just the rich people. It's not just the poor people. It's not just the people in jail. It's not just the good people, the good Christian people, but it's all people. All people are driven and are struck to their core by sinfulness. Sinfulness is something that reaches down into every single aspect of your life. There is no part of your life that is not tainted by brokenness. And this is the thing also that we Christians, we lie to ourselves about because we, we lie to ourselves because, and I'll, we'll talk about why we lie to ourselves later, but we lie to ourselves because we say, well, you know what, there's part of my life that's not driven by sin. You know, uh, my finances is not driven by sin. Uh, I can freely choose to do what I want to with my money. Uh, my, uh, my parenting is not driven by sin because I've really spent a lot of time trying to be a good parent. My career is not driven by sin because, you know, uh, it's just a career. How, Pastor, how could that be driven by sin? You know, my whatever. You could fill in any, my fishing career. My, no, it's, I don't know, fishing is a career. My fishing hobby is driven by, is not driven by sin, Pastor, because it's just a hobby. But you will find that every single part of your life if you study the Bible and if you're honest to God, that every single part of your life is driven by brokenness. You know why? Because it strikes you to your very core. And as such, 
it is impossible for you to evade it or escape it on your own. This is the reason why John says here very clearly, we'll go back to the text here for a second. If we claim we have no sin, we are fooling ourselves and not living in truth. And he goes down to 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts, right? And so what the Bible is trying to say here is, look, anytime we claim that there's not sin in our lives, we are basically fooling ourselves. But we know that what? That lots of Christians, forget non-Christians here for a second, forget seekers, but there are lots and lots of people who come to church every single week who fool themselves into believing that they are not sinful people, that they don't have sin in their lives. And my friends, that is the beginning of a lot of problems for the church and a lot of problems for, for other people's lives as well. It's very damaging um, because once we start believing our own press, once we start believing that we somehow have become good, then we are basically disavowing God's ability to change that part of our life. Let me give you an example. If we say, if we say that I am not a sinner, I do not sin, I do not have brokenness when it comes to handling my finances, you know, then at that point in time, we have basically said that we are good in that area and we don't need God in that area. But of course, we do need God in that area. If we say our fishing hobby is without sin, we are saying that we are good at it, that it is good, and that therefore God has no ability to really affect that or change that because it's already good and God doesn't need to touch it. Sin is a condition that really strikes to the very core of who we are. It's all the way down deep in, the, in who we are. It's mixed up in our very nature. People, cl oh, let me mention this. Sometimes that we encounter people, <coughs> oh, excuse me, sorry. Um, people claim you don't need God to be good and moral, but this is false for two reasons, okay? A lot of times in our world when we're sharing our faith with people, people will say, well, you know, I don't need God. Um, this is sometimes they'll get objection because I'm basically a good person. I mean, if you ask them if they make mistakes, they'll say, yeah, I make mistakes. And then you'll, you'll skip to Romans, and it says that no one is good. You know, no one seeks after God. Everyone does what's right in their own heart. And they'll be like, whoa, wait a minute, because, I, I mean, I admit I make mistakes, but that's not really me. I mean, I'm a good person. I, I, I pay my bills. I take care of my family. You know, I, I'm a good person. But here's the problem. People claim you don't need God to be good and moral. They'll say, I don't need religion. I don't need God. I don't need this Jesus guy because I can basically be a good person without it. And we talked about last week that we Christians feed that lie by doing what? How do we feed that lie? We talked about last week. Good, David. That's right. When we Christians go out there in the world and we act like Christianity just means to be generically nice people, we feed that lie. Um, for us to be Christians out there in the world that doesn't feed that lie, we have to be loving in a sacrificial way, and we have to be willing to speak out about what God has done in our lives. And then people will begin to understand that knowing Christ has nothing to do with being nice or generically moral, but has to do with following God's standard for our lives. So people claim you don't need, to be, to, to, you don't need God to be good and moral, but this is false for two reasons. Let me develop this idea. First, without any divine guidelines, people define good however it seems right to them at any moment. And, you know, I know people who uh, are like wannabe philosophers, and then I, I know colleagues and friends and, uh, who are actually professors of philosophy, uh, and who are, by the way, who are both are atheists. And these people over here, they're like, they'll say, you know, well, you know, you could just, uh, you know, pick your own standard. 
You know, people can just come together and vote on it, and, and you can define morality that way. But that's ridiculous, because we all know that whatever is popular would be the moral standard of the time. I mean, if we had to vote on morals, I mean, basically what would happen is, is that uh, to a large part of our country, MTV or whatever would become the moral standard um, of that part of the country that voted that way or whatever. And then there would be other parts that would vote crazy ways, and you would just have a big mess. And morals change over time. I mean, a couple years ago, it was really cool to smoke, right? Remember that? You know, and if so if people voted based on movies and that sort of thing about whether smoking is moral, they would say yes. But now smoking is like anathema, right? I mean, you know, I can't even watch a movie without like eight anti-smoking commercials on the movie now, you know, and so uh, on the video when we get it from Netflix. And so smoking now, everyone would be like it's immoral. And so the thing is, it goes back and forth and it always will. So the thing is, is that without any divine guidelines, people define good however it seems. The problem with the smart people is that they will come up with a standard that they feel is universal. But the problem is, is that even smart people can do things wrong. I mean, I remember, uh, I was reading this week and I remember the example of, a, of some philosophers, you know, in England uh, about 100 years ago who came up with this moral system that basically, you know, had the idea that if a person is weak, you just let them die. You don't let them breathe, you know. A and so that would be a moral system that we would consider to be what? Horrible. Most people would consider that to be horrible today, but yet it was accepted so much that it went into American textbooks around the turn of the century. And some of them, because why? Because that was considered to be a moral way of handling, uh, in certain circles of our world 100 years ago, a moral way of handling people with weaknesses. We just allow them to die. We kill them, we don't let them breed, and we just allow them to die. And so the problem is morality changes. If, if there is not a God, there is no morality. Uh, atheistic philosophers can debate this all day, but there is none. And this comes back to the nature of sin, because this sin, this brokenness, has to be a God-ordained thing. Second, the idea of sin, the distinction between good and bad, is a biblical idea. As I was studying for the message here this morning, I was, I was reminded of this fact that, you know, in the ancient world, I mean, because the Bible's been talking about sin for four to 5,000 years, right? And I was reminded that, you know, before the, before the Bible really took up this idea of sin and the nature of God and how we are broken in His image, that the rest of the world viewed sin as a very broad, gene, uh, not generic, but broad and random is really the best word, random thing. You know, they, they didn't see sin as being something that was missing the mark at all. They believed basically that a deity would give them sort of a code by which they live, and the codes could be completely different, and the codes could be, you know, one day they would follow one deity's code, and next day they would follow another deity's code, and most of the codes were, were, were sort of the same codes that most people follow today, which is do what feels good to you, and that's the best you can do for your life, right? And it's ironic that that is the primary code by which humanity has always gotten by on, which is do what you feel is right and good in your life, do what makes you happy, and that is, will be what, what is the best moral for you, right? That's the best life for you. But the problem is, is that this is the reason why, um, in my mind, the Bible is true in both ways. Because first of all, the Bible says that every time we choose to do what is good and right in our own eyes, every time we choose what is pleasurable for us, it is always going to be sinful. Because it is not about what we want or what we decide or what we choose. It is always has to be what God's plan for your life is and what God's plan for my life is. And, and to me, this really proves the truth of the Bible because for 5,000 years at least, recorded history, that we know that there has always been 
this idea in our world. doesn't matter what culture, doesn't matter anything. But there's been a constant idea that whatever pleases people, whatever makes them happy is what they should do. And then the subcurrent, the opposite, you know, the going against the stream has always been the word of God, which says, no, 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 don't do whatever makes you feel good. Do what God has called you to do. And that this contrast has been going on for 5,000 years, and you can see this contrast throughout all of humanity and throughout all of history. And you know what? Why do I mention all this philosophical stuff that put some of you to sleep this morning? Is because it demonstrates the truthfulness of sin. And it demonstrates that sin is at the core of our lives. Because for 5,000 years, people have been trying to deny that there is sin. Covering it up by what? Pleasure. What they want to do. Saying it's okay. I'm okay. You're okay. But in the heart of all people, to the very core of them, is a brokenness. Is a sinfulness. And we don't want to admit that and our very nature, we are broken. Why? Because it's not fun, right? I mean, it's not fun, and it's not easy, and it's not enjoyable, right? We should just eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. That's what we should do, right? Rather than admit that we are broken and that we need a God who can solve our brokenness. See, it's a lot easier to follow the other way. It's a lot more comfortable. It's in our nature. That's why I talked about a couple weeks ago when we were talking about sharing our faith, how difficult it is to have someone to really take hold of their brokenness. Why? Because they don't want to admit it. Why? Because it's comfortable. They don't want to leave their old way of doing life. The old man themselves is king of their lives. They don't want to leave that. They want to hold on to them being the king. Second idea real quickly um, this morning, developing some ideas that we're going we're gonna to break down in more detail next week. We must be able to admit our sin. That we must be able to admit our sin. So we cannot just sort of acknowledge the depth of sin that exists in humanity without also admitting it in our own lives. It's something that we must be willing to admit in our own lives. Okay, so here, here we go. Sin is not a general idea. It is a very personal issue. Um, I think that a lot of times in churches, you know, when uh, if, if I, you know, were to say, you know, hey, we're sinful people, you know, and you're like, yeah, because you're thinking that's what I'm supposed to do, right? Because I'm in church and I intellectually acknowledge the fact that the pastor is right, that there is sin, you know, throughout lives and that sort of thing. And so we think about sin as this sort of, uh, you know, this sort of overarching thing that does occur in life, but we are not willing to look deep into our own hearts and see the sin that is there. Sin is not just a general idea, but it's a very personal issue that, that affects everyone. It affects you, it affects me, it affects all of us. And if just because we come to church doesn't mean it affects us. Hopefully if you're here, you can admit that sin is a part of your life. But it's something that's very personal, very deep down inside. Why? Because even at your very core, your default position is to rebel against God and to not do what He says. Now, I say default there because, of course, when we accept Christ as our Savior, then what happens is, is that we turn our lives over to God, and then that, that bondage to brokenness, um, that default towards rebellion, gets changed. It doesn't mean that it's easy, but it does get changed, and it doesn't become necessarily the default anymore. Um, it is still a huge influence in our lives, unfortunately, but we are no longer bound to it. It's basically what the Bible says. Sin is not a general issue. It is a very personal issue. The Bible says this, Galatians 3, For we are all prisoners of sin. Okay? 
And prisoner, by the way, would be the right word. Now, of course, later in Galatians, it talks about being set free by the blood of Christ, and we'll talk about that. But the thing is, is that basically all of us are prisoners of sin. We are prison to it. We are chained to it. We are tied to it. We are strapped down to it. We are bound to it. Only God has the power to eliminate sin in our lives. Why is that? Well, because the problem is, is that it affects us to our very core. See, the problem with I'm okay, you're okay, the problem with listening to Oprah on occasion uh, and thinking that's going to make us better, the problem with Deepak Chopra and those guys is that they see mistakes that we make as this surface thing. And if we could just get in touch with the goodness that's inside of us, we could somehow get rid of all the bad stuff. We can just like an old coat, we can just sort of slough it off and we will be a new person again. But the Bible is very clear that from the moment we are created, from the very inner part of who we are to the extreme outer part of who we are, that every single aspect of our lives is broken, that it is no longer formed in the image of God, that it is a broken image of God, that it is impossible for us to have any good part. There is no good part of us that we can reach down into, that we can grab hold of, that we can somehow find a, a, a solid ground, something that's unmovable, something that we can grab hold of, something that we can build on. There is no good in our lives that we are able to build on, as the Bible says that we are all prisoners of this brokenness. This is the number one reason why seekers will not become believers. They do not want to be freed from their sin. That's the truth. The number one reason I believe why seekers will not become believers is because they don't want to be free from their sin. They know that they make mistakes. We won't have a problem, you know, people believe that. But when it comes down to them leaving behind what's comfortable and what's enjoyable, they're just not going to do it. Now, you know if you've been in church for a while that it's not them who do it anyway. It's the Holy Spirit who calls them to do it, and then they have to choose whether or not to, to take hold of the Holy Spirit and choose. I'll use, use that word right now. We could pick that word apart. But they have to choose and decide whether or not they will leave their brokenness and they will choose to follow God. But the problem is, is that brokenness is comfortable because that's the way we've been all of our lives. We're used to it. It's comfortable. It feels good. Um, and it seems like, let me just say very clearly, it seems like that to go to God is a rejection of comfortableness. It is not. Um, it is a completely different thing. But it seems like a rejection of comfortableness because I am not able to just sort of, you know, do whatever I want to. I'm not able to do whatever pleases me. It means that I actually have to change and it means I actually have to do what God wants me to do rather than what I want to do. And real quickly here this morning, we cannot rid our, our own lives, sorry, we cannot rid sin from our lives ourselves. It is not possible. Um, this is one of the things that occurs um, as we go through life that it, we think that we can. Let me just look at our text this morning. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, or unrighteousness, if we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our heart. The Bible tells us also here um, in Jeremiah 2 that no amount of soap or lie, great image here, no amount of soap or lie can make you clean. I, God, st will still see the stain of your guilt. Why will God see the stain of your guilt? Because soap takes off what? It takes off the dirt on the outside, but it will not cleanse the inside, which is reason why the Bible is consistent in saying that sin is something into our core. It is something that reaches all the way down on the inside. Well, here's the thing. 
I'm going to wrap up here this morning. Um, let me just mention this because I, I don't want anyone to leave here and not come back. You know, we, I always do it in series. So if you just come one week and you don't come the next two weeks, you, you're going to totally not understand the whole point of it. But I do need to add this, which is basically there is a way for our brokenness to be fixed. There's a way for it to be completely restored, and that is by turning over our mistakes and our sinfulness and our brokenness to God and asking Him to fix it. That's what it means to call on Jesus. That's what it means to call on God. People out there in the world, you know, they have, a, they have something bad happen in their life, and they're like, oh, God, if you, if you save me, if you, if you get me out of this situation, God, if you rescue me out of this situation, I'll turn my life around, right? And people pray that kind of prayer all the time. And what they don't realize is that that's only part of it, that really what God wants someone to do is to take all of their brokenness, all their lives, and turn it all over to Him and let Him restore all of it. But that means that they will follow Him and continue to follow Him and make that commitment to Him all the days of his life. So let me just take a moment here. Let's just do all heads bowed, all eyes closed for a second. Um, so if you're here this morning, if you just bow your heads, close your eyes just for a second. Um, maybe there's someone here, Lord, uh, as we pray. Maybe there's someone here who says, you know, I, I've sort of <clears throat> I've sort of been skating around this issue, God. I've been just kind of coming to church because I felt like there was something I was supposed to do. But I realized this morning that without, that I am a broken person and that without you fixing me, that there is no way for me to overcome my brokenness. So if there's anyone here this morning for the first time who just wants to choose to follow God, just lift up your hand and I'll pray for you. Anyone here first time this morning, all eyes closed, all heads bowed, anyone first time this morning who just wants to lift up their hand? All right, let's just pray for everyone here this morning. Father, I just pray, Lord, for all those folks here who claim that they know you, Father. Lord, and I pray that they do. I pray that they receive the depth of their sin, Father. And I pray that you would restore them and that you would fix the brokenness in their lives. Lord, we know it's going to be a lifelong journey. But, Father, we know that you can do it. And so we pray this in Jesus' name.